Alrighty, guys, this is Random Thoughts Live. So that intro song I was playing tonight, you can find it on my YouTube channel. It is called My Name is Richard Spencer, the R&B Mix. Um, story behind that, I've always wanted to mix music, and I actually did not know I had an app for that on my iPad when I uh, upgraded my iPad not too long ago, and my internet went out of my house last night. <laughs> kids were in bed and uh, I found that and so I went ahead and did two uh, two mixes uh, one last night and one today that was uh, my name is Richard Spencer that was from the interview that's been going around um, the latest news um, of uh, going on in the paper with Richard Spencer and that was that he was interviewed by a, a black guy on uh Channel 4 for Channel 4 in England, and uh, at one point the uh, the guy said, you know, why why are you saying, you know, that you get to say who's English and who isn't? And he said, because my name's Richard Spencer. And of course, most people understood, well, I shouldn't say most people, I would say people that are not hyperbolic understood him to mean that he, he's English, he's an Englishman, he has an English name. And uh, so that caused a lot of controversy because leftists like to pretend they don't know what he's talking about. Um, so that was the soundbite for the week that I pulled um, that I wanted to play for y'all. I hope you liked it. So we've got the chat box up. And so if you want me to um, address, uh, you have a question, you have a comment, make sure you go ahead and uh, tag me in it. I'm going to go ahead and go through some news stories I want to talk about, and then I will pause for comments. Um, so this is Random Thoughts Live. This is my second show, Random Thoughts Live, for November 9th, 2017. Hope you guys are having a good week so far. There's been so much news this week that I don't even know how I'm going to cover it all. It's going to be a little bit, I think, a little fast tonight. Um, we'll just, we'll cover, we'll get to what we can get to. Um, as always, I want to thank you guys for your support. I could not do this without you, both emotional support that I know you guys are praying for me, so many of you, and also financial support. If you are able, throw a couple dollars my way. I greatly appreciate it. Um, there is a lot of activism I do. I put a lot of work into this and, uh, we're getting those white baby counts up. They're going, they're going up. Guys, Trad Life is working. The hashtag, the lifestyle, the concept is working. When I first started tweeting out Trad Life, um, there were, I think, I'd only ever seen it on one other account ever that somebody had even used the hashtag. And now we have dozens and dozens and dozens of accounts of women online who are putting this hashtag in their bio. They're using it every day. They're talking about how they honor their husbands. They're talking about how they're making food for their families. They're talking about taking their kids to the park. And they're tagging it with hashtag trad life. And that baby count is going up. Um, I actually sat down and tried to count up how many babies um, people have actually come to me and said, you've ex inspired me to have a baby. You've inspired me to have another baby. Um, whatever it is, their first baby, their third baby, their sixth baby, whatever it is, that baby count is up. Um, we've got about a hundred. We're, we're hovering at just about a hundred babies out there right now that are either about to be born or have been born in the past two years since I started my work 
Um, because of trad life, because I'm putting this information out there in a way that people are resonating with, that baby count is going up. We even have one baby named Ayla, <laughs> which is just like amazing. So if you are able to support me, please do. I want to be able to keep doing this. This is something I'm really passionate about. And, uh, but really it depends on if I, you know, uh, if, if I have that support. So, um, let's start talking about the news. Um, so much went on this week, but I want to start out with Cantwell. Christopher Cantwell, many of you guys know who he is. He's dubbed, um, in the press as the crying Nazi, which is, uh, just really a terrible dig. And, and, and what's funny about that is even though he did cry on camera once, uh, Chris Cantwell is worth a thousand of those soy boy journalists who are, you know, writing about how they uh, love their uh, wife's boyfriend. But he cries once, right? And he's deemed the crying Nazi. So Chris Cantwell was at uh, Charlottesville. He used pepper spray to defend himself against attackers. And he has been in jail uh, since Charlottesville, roughly just a few days afterwards when he, he had to turn himself in. Today he had a hearing and um, two of the three charges against him were dropped. One of the, the person that originally even filed the complaint against him admitted on the stand that he perjured himself, that he lied. The entire thing should have been tossed. The entire thing. But as we know, uh, Chris is a political prisoner. Um, you know, a uh, and they, uh, the judge moved forward with, with what he could. He kind of scraped the bottom of the barrel there, kept that one count that he could kind of eke out. But um, I'm confident for Chris going forward that we're going to see some justice here because our movement is really at the, the tipping point. You know, we are getting, we're getting a lot of backlash. You know, we are. We're getting a lot of backlash, and we'll get to some of that in a minute. But we're really at the tipping point when a lot of average Americans are looking at our movement and going, wait a minute, I don't understand why a guy who used pepper spray is in jail. And particularly now that it's come out that the man who filed this charge or, you know, complained originally, filed the original complaint, has perjured himself. Um, it's falling apart. It's falling apart. The liberal house of cards is falling apart. Don't believe this, uh, dog and pony show that they're trying to put out there, that they're ahead, that they've got victories, etc. And let's just move on from that. Let's, let's transition into the election here. Um, because this is something they're trying to put this out as a big win for Democrats. Um, all across the board, all across the country. It's kind of being billed in the press that, you know, um, the Democrats kind of stayed home. The liberals stayed home, um, too much during the last election last year, a year ago when Trump was elected. They kind of didn't realize, um, the number of people that were going to come out for Trump and they kind of were resting on their laurels a bit and that they got more motivated this time. And they really got out there and that they had big wins across the board. And, um, I think it's, I think it's a little bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I think it's a little bit optimistic for the left to look at it that way. And this is why, um, a lot of what happened on election night was a direct hit to the American traditional family. Um, we had a lot of um, transgender people elected to public office. 
And that is a huge thing because while liberals love their transgender people, they love to use them as these pets that they show off as like, you know, being gay wasn't enough anymore. And so they had to find the next big thing. And that, that was the next big thing. You know, about 10 years ago, they really started to amp this up. And now it's getting to where, you know, trans this and trans that. And they're really, really pushing that. Now, homosexuality is something that a lot of Americans had a hard time dealing with. But most Americans, even conservatives, can say, look, I don't really care what you're doing in your bedroom and what you're into. Ugh, just leave me out of it, right? But when we get into the transgender thing, that is a lot more um, shocking for Americans, conservatives, and even people that would consider themselves fairly left. And again, it's typically a case of, you know, I really don't care what you want to do. Don't push it on me. It's being pushed on us. They're pushing themselves into the bathroom. They're pushing themselves into the bathroom with our children. They are pushing themselves now into office, and this is going to backfire because at the heart of it, I think that you could make a debate that homosexual people, obviously, I mean, I'm a Christian. I don't believe in that lifestyle, but there are a lot of gay people that I know that other than what they're doing in their bedroom, I think are incredibly healthy and well-grounded people that the same thing cannot be said for the trans community. Unfortunately, these are people with a mental health disorder that is beyond what can be, um, what can lead to a normal, healthy, functioning life. A lot of gay people can still go on to have fairly normal, healthy, functioning lives. Um, a lot of them don't, but, uh, but some of them can. But with the transgender thing, the mental illness has really gone so far as to be a, a, a situation where you want to cut off pieces of your own body. That is that is unsustainable. That's an unsustainable position from a personal perspective and from a community perspective. So again, this is a liberal house of cards. They they are trying to project that they have these big wins and these big gains for their community. But what they're doing is they're putting people in office that have severe mental health issues. And that's simply not sustainable. You cannot build a house out of sticks, right? It's like the three little pigs when they're trying to build the house out of straw and sticks. And it's just so easily blown over. When you put people with mental health conditions in these positions, it's just going to collapse. It's not sustainable. It's not strong enough to stand. And then, of course, we saw a horribly racist anti-white campaign ran a uh, run in Virginia um, with the Gillespie uh, Northam race. And um, for those of you who didn't see it, just I'll briefly describe it. It was all over the news, but uh, Gillespie is the conservative and um, his opponent ran a cam uh, campaign ad which featured a white man in a big pickup truck with a Confederate flag. And this, this man was trying to run over minority children who were playing basketball and, you know, skipping down the street like la la la. And then barreling down comes this car to try to run them over. And they're all fleeing in terror. 
And um, the irony of this, and, and here's where, you know, you can see Satan is involved in some of these things. Because one of Satan's best tricks is he takes something and he flips it around. He turns it around. He inverts its meaning. And we know that the real people who are out there killing children every day are the liberal leftists through abortion, right? It's the liberal left, and they are, they are aborting thousands and thousands. The genocide number of children aborted in this country by radical leftists who are either having the abortions themselves or pushing these abortion laws and these these abortion agendas where they're taking babies out of their mother's womb at at seven months, at eight months, at, you know, up until the point of birth, up until when there's still a toe left in the mother and, and killing these babies. And they're going to try to turn around and paint. Now, think whatever you want of Gillespie, and I'm certainly no fan of his, but they're going to try to turn around and paint him as a child killer or somebody who is, you know, uh, supported by child killers, you know, there's a, they're fans of, you know, he's a fan of child killers, whatever it is. This is a tool of Satan. He's inverting the truth. The truth is that leftist radical liberals and their abortion policies are the ones killing children, predominantly the ones killing children overwhelmingly in our country. So this is a pretty family-friendly show. Obviously, I'm not ever going to cuss or do anything like that. You can have this show on when your kids are around. But I am going to give a couple of no-kid warnings every now and again when I talk about a new story that's too intense. And I've got two of them tonight. And so this one is coming up is too intense. So if you do have children around while you're listening to this, either live or listening to the recording later, go ahead and you know either turn down, um, turn it down, Put on some headphones, go in a room where the kids can't can't hear you, um, or go ahead and skip forward if you're listening to this as a recording later on. I'm going to talk about what happened in Texas. So um, I'm going to give you just a minute to go ahead and get someplace where your kids aren't going to hear about this. Okay, so hopefully you've been able to make a few adjustments if you've had if you have kids nearby. So. Um, I highly recommend, uh, just as a parent, that things like what happened in Texas, you don't discuss with your children. And if possible, you, you know, don't let them see the news. You don't read, you don't listen about it on the radio. I have kept this from my kids and my kids are, especially my two oldest, are really into the news. They're very into current politics. Obviously, their dad and I are. This is what I do, you know, um, with my free time during the day and in between homeschooling sessions and whatnot is, is, uh, is politics and activism. So my, it was probably my oldest two who are almost 11 and 14. They really know a lot about this. This is something I kept even from them. And why is because this church shooting in Texas was a direct attack on the beautiful American traditional family in an incredibly direct way. Now, we we talk about I talk about attacks on the traditional family um, all the time from the standpoint of, you know, this campaign ad or this sort of thing. But no, this was a direct attack. And when I heard about this shooting and I saw the shooter, the image of the shooter, before we had very much information, my first thought was Bolsheviks, Russia. We, right now we are at the hundred year anniversary of when the, when Bolshe, the Bolshevik revolution happened in Russia. And this, that, um, story is just, 
such a, you get just like a moment in time that you can kind of cut out and you can apply it backward and forward throughout history. And you can see, and you can see the czar and his family and what they stood for. They stood for Christianity. They stood for family values. They stood for beauty and wisdom and tradition and folk. And they were, you know, slaughtered the whole entire family even some of their servants. The idea behind that was that they didn't want anyone to ever come back and have claim to the throne. They wanted to completely annihilate monarchy in Russia. So the Bolsheviks took them to the basement and they shot them all, right? He had four beautiful daughters. He had a, a sick son who was sick with hemophilia and uh, just a lovely wife. And again, like I said, some of their servants, even their dog, were slaughtered. And this is what's going on, not on a government scale, not yet, because we we don't have a monarchy. But this is what's going on on an individual scale um, when attacks like this happened. It's it's the heart of the of America. It it's it is our version, right, of the Romanov family. It it is a large. It, these were the people that were murdered in this gun spree. Were it was large family, you know, that lost um, multiple of their children lost their mother lost the infant she was carrying inside of her who um was about to be born just a month from now absolute i mean tragedy doesn't even begin to describe it and what do we find out about this guy well he's an atheist right and and this has come out that he was ranting on twitter not twitter excuse me facebook his um friends you know had defriended him on Facebook over these, you know, atheist tirades that he went on. Um, and he was dressed all in black. Definitely, um, you know, we're being fed uh, not the whole truth, obviously, by the mainstream media on this one. Um, when all of this went down, they withheld the, the shooter's identity for um, half the day, pretty much the entire, you know, all of Sunday. They withheld his uh, identity and scrubbed all his social media. Um, they left only a few things. Um, but we do have people now coming forward in the in the media and especially the alternative media who were friends of his on Facebook who can say, well, I know that they've all been deleted now, but I can tell you about these posts and I can tell you what he was saying. He was a militant atheist. He was attacking um, his own family, but he was also attacking the heart of America. He was attacking the American family. When you, you've got Texas, you've got small Baptist church, you've got large, uh, large family. This was... Uh, um, they say, well, you know, his intended target was, uh, his, his grand, or mother-in-law, grandmother-in-law. Um, but we know that this was really what boils down to an attack on the heart of America by a leftist, by a radical atheist. This was anti-Christian terrorism. This was anti-family terrorism that was carried out in our nation. And it comes on the heels of the attack on Rand Paul, as well as the New York truck terrorist attack, which happened on Halloween. And again, these were attacks, the heart of America. So the New York truck attack, what did it tar what did that Muslim target in, in New York? He took Halloween, which is a uniquely American holiday at this point. Um a, a child, a family-centered holiday, going out, trick-or-treating, dressing up. Wonderful time. People are actually out on the streets. They're visiting their neighbors. They're in their community. It's uh, 
a lovely, lovely little slice of American apple pie. And he chose that day and he chose his location for maximum attack on the traditional American family. He succeeded. There was a mother um, who was murdered in that attack as well. Um, and then Rand Paul, here's another, another attack. This, he's a well-known, family positive, conservative libertarian man. He was out mowing his lawn. I mean, what, you know, there's not a more classic dad moment than that to be out mowing your lawn, you know, taking care of your, your family and your house on your day off. And then we were sold a bill of goods on this one. And if you follow, um, some of my reporting I've been doing, on wifewithapurpose.com, on the Rand Paul event, I saw this, and it was during the Antifa Day of Action, where they had promised that they were going to, you know, behead white parents in the street, they were going to behead white business owners, and then when nobody showed up to their rallies, they said, ha we were just joking, oh, the alt-right fell for a joke, blah, blah, blah. We all know it wasn't a joke, they just couldn't get their numbers, they don't have the numbers, they don't have that many radicals. They like to pretend, again, house of cards. They like to pretend they've got more than they do. But Rand Paul was out in his lawn. He was violently attacked by his neighbor. Now, at first we were told it was a mild attack. I said, uh-uh, I bet this is a viol- more violent than they're saying. They had to come back and admit later on when, when medical reports uh, were brought to light that he had uh, injured a lung and broken five ribs. This was a vicious attack. And that, um, and that he's in, you know, he's going to have some serious recovery that he's going to have to do. He's, this is, he's not going to come back from it. This was not a punch in the face. Um, and, um, I knew because I jumped on Facebook and saw this guy, his neighbor's, uh, Facebook account. He was an absolute radical leftist. And by that, I mean his entire Facebook. Now I went back. I think nine months on this guy's Facebook. I could count on one hand how many posts he had posted that were about something other than how much he hates conservatives and Trump. Every single post, it was Stephen Colbert, it was anti-Trump, it was Russia, 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 it was uh, Rachel Maddow. All of these people, he was a radical, radical leftist. And I knew it was not a coincidence that Rand Paul, who's very pro-free speech, libertarian values, like American founding values was attacked by this man on the Antifa day of action. And I think what happened here, if you want my opinion from traditionalist Christian perspective, this neighbor took an opportunity. He thought there was going to be mass chaos on the streets because he thought his other liberal friends were going to show up and attack their neighbors too, their conservative neighbors. But he had an opportunity to really do something big because he happened to be neighbors with Rand Paul. They tried to sell this as an ongoing neighborly dispute. I said, uh-uh, from day one, I said, nope. And it turns out um, information was just released today. Ron Paul's advisors are saying that's fake news. Ron Rand Paul has not talked to this neighbor in years. He was blindsided out of nowhere, but no one in the press um, is going to say, oh, hey, look at this radical leftist terrorist blindsided this guy, attacked him in his lawn on the day of the Antifa Day of Action. You're not going to hear about it. Um, so I am going to take a break here for just a second. Um, to read over some comments. So if you have comments directed at me, you have questions for me, please, please, please tag me in the live chat. 
And I'm going to get ready to scroll through here and just address a few comments from you guys. Okay, somebody says, have you seen the article about yourself in the Salt Lake Tribune? I don't know. Is there a new one? I, they've done a couple of different articles on me. So I don't know if you're talking about the one from earlier this year. They did a, they did a couple. Um, they did one in August and they did one in March. I want to say maybe there was one like midsummer. Um, I don't really pay attention. Those are done by Peggy Fletcher Hack, as I like to call her. Um, radical, radical anti-Mormon, um, uh, journalist. Um, uh, Salt Lake Tribune is garbage. It's just garbage. And I don't, I usually don't, I don't even pay attention. Like, honestly, I, um, 90% of all articles written about me I, in the mainstream press, I don't even read them. There's absolutely no reason that I need their narrative about who I am in my life in my head. I mean, really, I know who I am. God knows who I am. That's it. So, um, if it's a new one, I have not seen it. So, um, let's see. Uh, you set an amazingly good example for our people. Thank you. I try to do my best. I am far, 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 far from perfect. I am a sinner saved by grace like everybody else, but I am pretty passionate about what I'm passionate about. So hopefully I am making an impact here. Why no super chat donate on your streams, please? I don't know what that is. Why no super chat donate? Hmm. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I am incredibly technically illiterate. The fact that I'm like carrying this off at all to any extent is a, is a miracle. So um, let me know what that is sometime. You can always email me whiteala at protonmail.com. Let me know what a super chat donate is and maybe I can do that. Um, if you hear my baby in the background yelling, he's totally fine. He's with his daddy. So I don't want anybody to think that he's like out in the living room by himself or something. But he's just a noisy one. My sixth baby. Ooh, my. He's been, he's been my little, my little troublemaker. He's, uh, got more personality than I know what to do with, but he's a very noisy fella. Okay, here we go. The left fetishizes mental illness. Having one is like having a new person. It's a fad. It is. It is. And they're trying anything they can. You know, they're, you know, OCD or something like this. You know, there's, oh, I have a condition. You know, it's like, no, you know, come on. Okay, let me see if there's any other comments here. We're about halfway through the show right now. Oh, somebody says Super Chat enables viewers to donate money during the chat through YouTube. Well, that sounds nice. <laughs> um, I will definitely look into that. I will make a note of that. Actually, I'm going to write that down right now. Super Chat. Super Chat. That sounds like something that would be in like Guardians of the Galaxy or something. I don't know. <laughs> Super Chat. Okay. Uh, it's a little squarish box next to the smile face on the bottom left corner of the chat feed box. Okay. I will look into that and then hopefully I can set that up for next time because that would be really wonderful. Thank you for letting me know about that. Um, Frankfurt School promoted mental illness as a strategy. Boy, did they ever. Wow. Okay. So let's move forward here. Um, I want to go ahead and 
Um, let me just take a pause here and let you guys know, since we were talking about um, lending support, a lot of people want to know, well, when we, when we donate to you, you know, um, what is that support for? Now, obviously somebody like, you know, a big name out there, Stefan Mullenhue, or even somebody like Millennial Woes, um, they're, they're dudes, right? This is their job. This is their work. Um, they get paid for their work. Well, my position is, you know, I, I'm working too, you know, I'm taking time. I'm taking a lot of time out of my life. Um, if you like what I do, definitely, I think that it's, um, reasonable to support it. But let me tell you a little bit about what happens when you do support me. Um, through support that I've gotten in the past, I've been able to upgrade some equipment. So I've been able to get a better iPad that has more storage and different apps that um, I've been able to make uh, better and more videos. I'm sure you've noticed if you follow me for a while, the the quality in, um, of my videos has gone up because I've been able to get the software and um, the stuff like what I'm doing right now, I wouldn't have been able to do in the past because I didn't have the equipment to do it. Um, it also helps me with homeschooling. So my main job during the day, every day that I do hours and hours and hours and hours and hours a day is homeschooling my six kids. And so when you support me, if I'm able to, like I did recently, purchase just small programs where they're able to go online or go onto a computer program that I trust and they can do, you know, an hour's worth of math that that is on the computer and not where I have to go through every single problem with them, that frees up a little, just a little bit of extra time. So, you know, I can cut back a little bit on, on the time that I'm having to do in the homeschooling by just having little upgrades like that in our lives that give me time to put into the channel. And then of course, it's always, always recycled back into our community because my husband and I always prioritize um, conservative, traditionalist, alt-right businesses um, uh, for everything that we do and everything that we need. Um, okay. So let's go on to, oh, let's see. I've got another question here. I noticed you and Lady Lily have a bully on your Twitters. How do you deal with her? Just ignore her or report her for harassment. Yes. So I have been being stalked, as most people know, for, I don't know what it's, it's been like a year and a half or so. Um, right now, uh, my, I advise everyone simply to ignore them. Um, it's, it's pretty, it's predominantly one woman and then she creates multiple accounts and every now and again, she kind of will bring in a friend or so it looks like that will stalk for a while with her. Um, I, I, I just ignore, um, and I, I recommend that most people ignore, um, and when I'm able to talk more about that, I would, um, I don't think that, yeah, there's some legal issues there that I'm, you know, I am gathering information on. And, uh, so I probably shouldn't, I won't go into too much detail about that, but bottom line, it's a stalker. It's, you'll see her, uh, tweet from a couple different accounts. Um, she'll even talk back and forth with herself and pretend she's another person. But, uh, if you see her posts for long enough, you can tell that she's, um, mentally ill and, uh, she just in, makes things up. So that's what's going on there. Um, I should debate Anna from TYT. I actually don't know what that is. Oh, the Young Turks. Anna from the Young Turks. <laughs> oh my. Well, I'm not a big, um, thank you for your confidence that I, that I would kill her at debating wise. But, um, I'm not a huge fan of debating. I, I think I would rather leave the debate 
kids to the men. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. I guess I probably, I don't know. Yeah, I think that eh, women debating just, I don't know. It doesn't usually go very well. I mean, it's not productive. It's not really productive to tell, to be honest, like most of the time. It's very rare that I find a woman that's, you know, that I could debate with that won't just, you know, slide into logical fallacies and, you know, ad hominem attacks. And so I don't, it just doesn't seem reasonable to me. But thank you for your confidence. Okay, so um, the anti-white racism this week was really through the roof. I mean, it is every week, right? So let's just go through a couple of these stories that happened um, during the week that were just kind of, I don't know, we could even call this segment like, you know, anti-white loony land. I don't know what, what do you want to call it? But these are news stories that are not reported on mostly by the mainstream press. They're not really picking this up. This isn't something they'd want to talk about. But if things were reversed, they would make it a national news story. So Dennis Prager, he's about to give a talk at a university, and they are trying to ban him. Now, for those of you who don't know who Dennis Prager is, he is a very conservative uh, Jewish uh, radio host. And he's been doing radio, talk radio, I think, gosh, I think like 20 years. And um, I know that uh, a lot of people might would take issue with the fact that he's Jewish, but I think most of the time he is definitely worth the listen and he was a big part of my red pilling. I had all of these conservative like feelings years ago and I didn't I didn't know how to articulate them and I didn't know how they fit into I didn't even know if there was anyone out there that still had traditionalist views on things and his traditionalist views he, he does a, a man and woman hour on his show every week and talks about how men and women are different and how we can get along better and understand each other um, if we understand the basic gender differences and things like that he's absolutely brilliant now he's completely wrong about the alt-right completely wrong, devastatingly wrong, horribly wrong. And in that respect, um, especially recently, he's been definitely a thorn in the side of truth from that perspective. Um, but I hold out hope that, you know, he's, he's just a, an older guy who doesn't understand. And maybe if we could, you know, I'm, I, I tweet at him. I, you know, I will tweet at him and I will say, Hey, you know, bring me on your show. Let me tell you about the all right. Let me tell you about what we are about. Um, but he is incredibly conservative, very big believer in God, big defender of God. And, um, he used to go to universities fine, very little blowback. But as this leftism is amping up, as this anti-traditionalism is amping up, you know, he's getting called down as hate speech and they're wanting to ban him from universities the same way they, they want to do, um, Ben Shapiro, um, and, and that, you know, someone like Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro, again, it's just hilarious because it shows the cognitive, uh, dissidence in, in the left that, uh, Jewish guys, um, are somehow Nazi white supremacists. You know, it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but now that they've gone off, um, after Prager, um, you know, he's incredibly mainstream. You know, he's on there. If you turn on your conservative talk radio, he's there with Sean Hannity. He's there with Glenn Beck. He's in that circle. And they are really starting to go after these guys, too. And again, it's just showing who they are. It's showing who they are. And I mean, it's good for us in the long run because it shows the mental instability, the um, just the intellectual disconnect that's going on on that side. 
So there was a man named Spencer Raymond, and he is was running for a uh, Portland candidate. Um, and let's see, he's a former Oregon public broadcasting host. So, you know, that public broadcasting is pretty, pretty liberal area. Um, and he was inundated with anti-white racist hate after announcing his candidacy for Portland City Council on Facebook last month. Um, I'm getting this from the information, uh, liber- liberation.com. He said, quote, I'm excited to be moving on from Oregon Public Broadcasting and taking a more active role in our community. He wrote on Facebook, quote, I have, haven't been able to be as involved and engaged as I'd like to because I've been an on-air voice, blah, blah, blah. So, um, there were people that chided him, um, on, on his, uh, Facebook feed here after he made his announcement. And it wasn't because they disagreed with his politics or his positions necessarily. It was because he is a white man. And so they really attacked him on that. And they said, Oh, I've dropped my pen. Excuse me. I'm very super professional or, uh, organization right here. All right. So they, they attacked him because they said, how dare you run against three women of color? So the other people in the race were women of color and they should get precedence over a white man. A white man should just sit down and not even run. Um, according to these attacks on his Facebook, there were posts that said, um, things like, Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Um, and a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of anti-white hate on this guy's Facebook. And that again, kind of shows you where we're at, um, right now in our society. Um, Okay, then there was the Secret Service has arrested a man near the White House who threatened to, quote, kill all white police. So you might have heard about this story. Um, he posted on Facebook. He says, quote, now I'm going to there to White House. Make sure kill all white police. All right. And um, apparently his wife reported this tweet um, to the police. He was found. Um right outside of DC in a hotel. He was unarmed. Uh, it was his ex-wife, excuse me, who tipped off uh, police. He was unarmed, but apparently he had you know, taken the time to, you know, actually go near the white house and was staying near them. So, I mean, at, at, he was somewhat serious about this attack. So this again was an attempt at anti-white terrorism, really. Cause if you're talking about attacking, you know, killing all white police, I mean, that's not just like, I'm going to go kill one dude. That's like a terrorist attack. So basically, what what may have been stopped here was an act of terrorism against white people and against police officers. And it's barely making the news at all. What I find interesting as well is that now this tweet, or I'm sorry, not tweet, uh, Facebook post was available to the public. And so some people went and reported it to Facebook. You know, they said, wow, you know, he's saying he's going to kill all white police. And Facebook did not take it down, right? Facebook sent back replies to people saying, well, thank you for your, your interest. We, you know, um, let's, let's show you how to adjust your Facebook settings so that you don't see things you just, you know, that, that you dislike in the future. They did not take it down. They did not suspend his account even after he had been arrested. So, um, 
and arrested by the Secret Service. I mean, you know, this is pretty serious, and Facebook did nothing. And uh, when I first um, made the news to any large extent um, about a year ago, I started a Facebook account because a lot of the people that were um, spreading false information about me were on Facebook. I I don't particularly like Facebook. I didn't have a wife with a purpose Facebook page, but I went ahead and tried to start one. And I created a new account to try to start it because obviously I, there were doxing issues. I didn't want to use my, my personal account. And um, I went ahead and created the page. Everything was fine. And, t- and I, I, I posted several things on there until I posted a picture of white children, some blonde children. And I said, white children deserve a future. And um, my page was taken down and my entire account was suspended within, I think, I mean, within a few hours, um, completely suspended. The, the account is compl- I mean, completely gone, wiped from the face of the earth. But this guy can can post on his Facebook that he's going to kill all white police and then he can get arrested by the Secret Service. So who had obviously had some reason to think he was serious enough to arrest him. And Facebook does nothing. Okay, moving on. The TV anchor whose uh, fiancé was killed a couple years back, you might remember, on air. There was a TV anchor who was shot while she was doing the news, and the the, the um, cameraman was shot as well. Big news story. The racism angle was very much ignored by the mainstream press. This was a white woman and a, and a white uh, cameraman. They were killed by a black man, and he was claiming that they were racist because they had said something in the office one time that he deemed to be racist. And this was part of what motivated this attack. He was getting back at them. So this woman who was killed, her fiancé ran for office. um, And what I found surprising was that he was running as a liberal candidate. So we can have a situation where, you know, you're engaged to a woman, you know, uh, you love her, you're about to get married, start a family She's violently attacked and murdered in a horrific way on live television. And what is your response to continue, just kind of double down on liberalism, double down on those policies that got us to where she was killed? Um, it's, it's like the people that lose their daughters to, uh, these refugee attacks in Europe. And then, and then they, you know, continue to publicly state, oh, we need to let more refugees in. It's like, what is wrong with you? What, why? I mean, if seriously, if, if if someone you love can be killed, and and you still aren't won't wake up from these these this brainwashing, it's bad. It's bad. Um, there were two incidences this week, and again, you're going to hear very little about this in the mainstream press, where some hate crimes were proven as hoaxes. So we had the um, New York City a guy graffitied his own car with the N word and other racial slurs he it got reported to police the guy admitted today he did it to himself he called it he called it a halloween prank that went um that got out of hand um but the police are not filing charges against him for reporting um a false uh or for you know doing a false report in colorado the air force academy had an incident recently where some racist things were written um 
in in view of students. Um, some anti-black things were written in view of students, and again, they found that it was a black man himself who wrote it. And no action, as far as I know, is being taken against him either for, you know, monopolizing uh, money and resources from the Air Force Academy to look into this uh, hoax that he created. Nor are you going to find much retraction in the mainstream press about either one of these. But of course, when they went down and when it was assumed that some Nazi had done it, they were more than eager to report it. Um, Mariah Carey. Oh, I should. Well, hold on. Let me back up one second. There was also um, the woman who filed a uh, false Islamophobic hate crime report actually did appear in court this week. So, um, again, got very little press coverage, but at least um, she's um, having to go to court over her false filing. Now, Mariah Carey, Mariah Carey's former secretary, uh, sorry, former security company has threatened to sue her. And the guy who owns the company says she constantly humiliated him by referring to him as a Nazi, a skinhead, a KKK member, and a white supremacist. Michael Anello, I hope I'm saying that right, Anello's lawyer has prepared a draft for a lawsuit claiming his company worked for Mariah from June to May, June to 2015 to May of 2017 and was stiffed on a balance to the tune of $221,000, which is nothing to shake a stick at. Anello claims he was promised another two years of work. So that's a total of, um, over $500,000 on this, on uh, Mariah's tab here. And Ello says that Mariah humiliated him and his colleague by referring to them as members of the, of hate groups and also says that Mariah want, he, he says Mariah claims to wanted to be surrounded by black guys and not white people. He's also, um, claiming some sexual harassment. She was, uh, that, uh, she wore lingerie around him in, um, and acted in a provocative manner that made him uncomfortable. So unpacking this story very quickly. Number one, Mariah Carey is half white. I'd like to see her 23 and me. I'm betting. I bet you dollars, dollars to donuts. That girl is more white than she is black, right? She's probably 51% or maybe she's 50% European, you know, one or 2% caucus and, you know, 48% black. And I'm betting you dollars to donuts. Since most American blacks have uh, upwards of 20% white DNA, that her daddy had some white in him, and that would make her predominantly white, right? If you want to get down to the science of it. Yet, um, she wants to be surrounded by black people and not white people. So she's not paying this guy, um, and she doesn't feel she has to, apparently. And uh, also weird is she sexually harassing him now maybe he's making it up of course he could totally be making it up but if true um she only wants to be surrounded by black guys but she's gonna come on to this guy so that's just bizarre and shows you how this like split identity that ends up happening in in people and uh when especially for mixed race people um, and not even so much because they are mixed race, although obviously that's going to create some identity issues that you, you need to sort out as, as a person. 
But when we live in this society that tells them that only one half of themselves is valuable and they hate the other half of themselves, they hate their white half, they don't want to honor their white half, they're not going to dress or act like their white half, they're not going to embrace their white culture or their white heritage, um, you know, th then we get this kind of situation where she's attracted, obviously, to this white man and she probably felt bad about that. She probably felt internally conflicted that she she was, you know, attract, attracted to this, you know, uh, this, uh, this white, white man. And so, you know, she's lashing out and she's calling him Nazi and skinhead and white supremacist and so forth. Um, and again, if this, if the roles were reversed, if this was Taylor Swift or, you know, any other white entertainer and they were being accused of sexually harassing and racially, uh, harassing, um, a black bodyguard, you bet you money that we'd be hearing a lot more about this in the press. So, all right, so here is another moment. And again, I, I apologize. There's just like a lot of news this week and it's kind of negative, but I do have good news coming up. But I do have to talk about one one more yucky story. So again, if you've got kids, skip forward, take a break, go in the bathroom, what you, whatever you have to do. Um, we don't want the kids to hear about this next story. It's a little bit shocking. So let's talk about Sherry... Papini, I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce her last name. I'll refer to her as Sherry um, from here on out, but I mean, mean no disrespect. Now, she was the woman that went missing from Northern California a year ago. And um, when she went missing, she's a very beautiful, I mean, just, you know, what a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous girl. Blonde, um, lovely mother. Um, and she, when she went missing originally, um, people were saying, oh, she, you know, she ran off with some guy. I don't even know why we're looking for her, blah, blah, blah. Her husband was very adamant. No, my husband, my wife would not run out on me. You know, please, please. We, you know, we need to look for her. Something bad has happened. Three weeks later, she was found on the side of the road. Um, she had been beaten all over her body. She'd been starved down to 86 pounds. She, um, had been branded on her skin on her back she had had all of her hair removed and she was still in restraints and chains around her hands and ankles and her condition when found was so bad that when she was first found and admitted into the hospital her husband came to visit her but they did not allow her children to come visit her at for for a while several days because her condition was so dramatically upsetting, her physical condition, that they thought, even though their mommy had been gone for three weeks, that it would be better to not allow the kids to see her until she looked a little bit better um, because of the trauma it might cause these children. Now, the press uh, was very surprised um, the, the, the people that were calling her a whore and that were, that she'd run out on her family were very surprised when she was found. So again, they began attacking her and the story came out that she was a racist because apparently Sherry had been involved in critiquing the, um, open borders policy of the U.S. and saying that her Northern California town had been absolutely devastated by illegal immigration, that the culture and the people 
and the safety of her community had been completely changed due to illegal immigration. Supposedly, she was known for this and, and for preferring to live in a white community. And then she was kidnapped by two Hispanic women, Latino women, who, um, who did this to her, who beat her and starved her and burned her skin on her back and cut off all of her hair and who um, held her for three weeks. And apparently there was a disagreement between the two of them as to what to do with her after they had tortured her for three weeks. And one of them got a little soft and loaded her up into a car in the middle of the night with the, without the other one's knowledge and dropped her off in, uh, in the street in the middle of the night. Despite the fact that she was so severely tortured, people were claiming back a year ago when she was found that she had done this to herself, either to cover for the fact that she had ran off with a man who they were assuming would be non-white, right? Um, to further degrade her um, and, and say, oh, you know, she's one of these supposed white supremacists, but she really has got a thing, right, for these Latino guys. Um, or that um, she had done it to herself and then was accusing some Latino women of doing it because, again, she's a racist. Now, imagine if the roles were reversed. Imagine if a black woman had or a Latino woman had been kidnapped, had been mutilated, had been branded, had been starved and beaten by white women who claimed to be doing it because of her race and her political affiliations of being um, um, for her race. Imagine if that had happened. Um, the outrage would be unending. It would simply be unending. It would make the police shootings of black men look like a small story in comparison, if you can imagine. But this is what is going on in the state of our world right now that this white mother can be kidnapped, beaten, starved, mutilated. Now, if you look at the pictures of her, she looked like a Barbie doll. She was absolutely gorgeous, this long, luxurious blonde hair. And of course, they cut that off. That was a sign of racism. This lovely blonde woman, they cut off that lovely blonde hair of hers, which was the most striking of her white features. Now, um, now we have, the reason I'm bringing the story up is because, um, we now have video surveillance that has been released that shows the surveillance camera from a Jehovah's Witness, uh, church that was on the street where she had been dropped off. And as she was running slash limping, trying to get to some help, she had seen a light at this uh, church and thought maybe someone was there, even though it was four in the morning. She was trying to find someone to help her, particularly I imagine she's trying to find someone to help her, before, you know, thinking her kidnappers might come back. And so she ran towards this building that had lights on, but no one was there. So she ended up running uh, back the other direction. She can clearly be seen in the footage and she can clearly be seen with the restraints still on her her arms and ankles. Um, if you look it up on, on Google, the, uh, the video is not that great, but obviously with the detective equipment that they have, they can get um, higher resolutions on these things. So they've released that as well as the 911 tapes. If you still, if you put her name, Sherry Papina, Papini, P-A-P-I-N-I, into Twitter, you will see a whole host of anti-white racism against this woman claiming that she has made this whole thing up. So, 
let's get back to a little bit of good news. And the good news this week, I want to leave you with a white pill. I wish I had more white pills to leave you with this week. I apologize that I don't. But I want to talk a little bit about Kate Middleton. Kate Middleton, of course, is um, married uh, to, uh, oh my goodness, his name just escaped me. I apologize. Oh my word. Um, just one moment. Let me Google. <laughs> Google has to be my brain. Um, she's the Duchess of Cambridge and, um, she is, uh, hold on just a second. This is gonna, this is gonna bother me if I don't, um, okay. So she's the mother of Prince George and Princess Charlotte, right? I cannot remember her, her husband's name. Prince Harry, no, wait, Prince William, sorry. <laughs> William is the one she's married to, excuse me. Okay, um, she's the Duchess of Cambridge and she's absolutely lovely. She's poised, she's 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 gorgeous, but not in that way that seems unattainable to to a lot of women. You know, she's she's a she's a gorgeous, but not not like a, a movie star, just like a really classy, nice woman, right? Um, she, I, I love her for so many reasons, but she is pregnant with her third baby. And this is wonderful for so many reasons. She's a great role model right now for white women. She is smart. She's poised. She's educated. She, um, is always involved in lots of community work, lots of charity. She, is very concerned about tradition. Um, when she had her first child and she came for the, you know, out of the hospital, uh, for the photo op with, with her first baby, Prince George, she wore a dress just like, um, Princess Diana's dress. And obviously she is Princess Diana's daughter-in-law. Princess Diana was still alive and she was carrying, um, Princess Diana's grandson and she wore a dress that that looked exact almost exactly like it's a more modern style of what um her mother-in-law had worn when she presented Kate Middleton's husband um to, to adoring fans uh, back when he was born she's a woman of poise and grace that is very concerned with tradition and I absolutely love that I think she's a wonderful role model I know when I was growing up in the the 80s and 90s, the English royal family was having a little bit of trouble with a lot of tabloids. They were kind of acting more like some trailer park, trailer park rednecks. You, you know, it was a little bit more honey boo boo than it was the royal family. Kate Middleton is bringing it back, ladies and gentlemen, the Duchess of Cambridge. And then here's the beautiful thing. They're having a large family. So I think it's kind of sad that we consider three kids a large family nowadays. I mean, you know, my great grandparents had, you know, like six and my, my granny had four. And, you know, those were even back then, those were small families, you know, like eight, 10. These were the, the numbers we used to have. But we're not there yet, but at least by today's standards, she's having a large family, so she's pregnant with her third. She also has hyperemesis, which um, some people don't know, and they don't know how amazingly devastating that is. I have a friend who has hyperemesis. She has a lot of children as well, but she absolutely suffers so much when she's pregnant. I can't even begin to tell you how much, um, how painful a condition hyperemesis is. It's, it's basically morning sickness but times a thousand and you have it throughout 
all of the pregnancy. And you're, you're essentially bedridden. Some women um, nearly die because they can't eat. They have to be admitted into the hospital. Um, at any rate, despite that, she is going ahead and having a third baby. She has taken a lot of criticism for this. But again, she is poised. She's showing off that baby bump unashamed. And I think that she is a terrific role model. Um, she's uh, feeling a little bit better now that she's a little bit further along in her third pregnancy. So she's began, began taking Prince George to school again. She, um, you know, and again, when, when his first day of school there in, in their traditional English school and he was wearing his, his uh, little outfit and the photo ops and the way she dresses her daughter, very traditional, you know, the, the aesthetics on it are just so Anglo and gorgeous. And I love that she is not ashamed to be white culture. She's just, I mean, she wouldn't call it that, I'm sure. Um, but she is just like forever kind, graceful, and, and the aesthetics on her are beautiful. Something that, that white women, um, all across the world, um, we really can look up to, to Kate Middleton. So much class. I absolutely love her. Um, they, they are just redoing the uh, the royal family here for the next generation stronger better classier than ever I love it um, and if you contrast that with somebody um, one of you know somebody would might would call like the Kardashians like maybe the American royal family right now um, and when you you can contrast uh, their pregnancies and their behavior with someone like Kate Middleton you know um, make sure that if you have little girls in particular, but be reading stories about uh, Kate Middleton. Be be talking about these things with your kids. You know, show your daughter. Oh, look at her! Isn't isn't her dress beautiful? You know, oh, she's gonna have her third baby. Discuss this with them. Let them know that you admire these qualities in a public figure. Give them someone somebody to look up to. And it's it's not about putting them on a pedestal. And no one is perfect. And I understand that. But give your children a little bit of some. You know, give them somebody to look up to. And and it's hard. It's hard to find role models for your kids. Kate Middleton is definitely a big role model in our house, especially for my daughters. Um, a year ago, not this summer, but the summer before, um, my daughter and I did a princess camp at our house, um, is where we, we hosted five other girls and we, for four days, for several hours each day, and we did crafts and we talked about a different princess throughout time and history. And, um, one of the princesses we did obviously was Kate Middleton. And I, I just was absolutely thrilled to be able to tell them that we do have real life princesses right now. You know, our culture is not destroyed. It isn't gone. We have real life princesses that they can look up to. It's not just Sleeping Beauty and it isn't just princesses that are, are, you know, dead and gone like Anastasia or Queen Elizabeth. Um, we have real life princesses right now that are, um, worthy of, of being role models for our children. And all right. So let me go back to the comment section here. I'm going to catch up with you guys. And see what's going on over here. See if anybody tagged me in any other comments. If you have comment or question that you want me to address, go ahead and and uh, tag me, please, in the comment section so I can easily see it. And that way I don't have to sit here and scroll through the entire thing. I love that you guys are chatting and having a great time. I really want this to be a community feeling. 
and that we can all come together on Thursday nights and I can talk about some news stories from a Christian and traditionalist perspective. And we can, you guys can start building, you know, more community, more and more community. The more community we can build, the better. Um, let me scroll all the way back. You guys have been chatting and chatting. I love it. Let's see here. Trying to get back to where I left off with you guys. Okay. Oh, okay. Here we are. So yeah. So somebody was talking about my, my stalker again. Uh, Kiva. Yeah. It's, um, she, one of her accounts is called classic Kirov, but let's not give her the attention she wants. Um, in my opinion, you would be really good for us in the debate world. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the confidence. We all have our talents. I suppose that Talking is one of mine. <laughs> I try to use it to the best of my ability. My husband certainly can attest to my excellent debate skills. It's a good thing that I'm a traditional wife who really, and I, and I honestly say this, like I make it a really big priority in my life to not debate my husband about something unless it is absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial. And I, I recommend you just pick your battles because you're going to be together your entire life. Like pick your battles. You don't want to fight all the time. Um, but my husband can get really frustrated because if we do have a debate, like I realize I have the upper hand just because I'm a faster talker than he is. And, and he's way smarter than me. Like I'm not trying to, to wouldn't dare to claim otherwise. He's, you know, he's got uh, 10, 20 IQ points on me for sure. But um, even though he'll be modest and tell you he doesn't, but he does. Um, but yeah, I'm just a fast talker and he's not. And so I, I realize that and I, I try to make sure that I don't do that to him because I don't think it's fair. I mean, that you know, it would be like him picking me up and throwing me around. Like, it's not fair. He's stronger than me. Okay. Um, but as far as debating for, for our people and for our cause, eh, you know, again, I just don't think debate is incredibly ladylike. I mean... And, and I don't think sitting here talking about politics is incredibly ladylike either. I, I'll tell you the truth. I'd rather not be doing this in a lot of ways. I'd rather just be sitting around having a cup of tea with my friends and discussing some of these issues in, in um, a more polite manner. I, well, I wish that these issues didn't exist. I wish we didn't have these issues to discuss. And I was sitting around drinking some tea and talking about how wonderful Kate Middleton is. But these things have to be addressed. Somebody's got to do it. For whatever reason, people, some people will listen to me. And so here I am. But, um, you know, I don't know. As far as debating, I don't know that I would ever be totally comfortable with doing that, particularly not somebody like Anna from Young Turks. I just don't think it would be productive. But I would be, I, I don't know, I would be really willing to like sit down with her again and have a cup of tea and a conversation and tell her about my life. And she could share some of her life and viewpoint, <clears throat> you know, like woman to woman. Okay, um, you, you, let's see. You just can't be white in Portland these days. Uh, you know how liberal it is there. Yes, true. Although Portland is incredibly white. But that short show Portlandia really, <laughs> really does know Portland well, doesn't it? Um, okay, let's see. Even if they did talk about the racial issues, they would have twisted the story and made the victims 
look racist. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what happens. You know, even with the Rand Paul situation with him and um, mowing his lawn, um, it was GQ magazine um, suggested that because Rand Paul's a libertarian, he therefore must be a terrible neighbor. I mean, I don't know what that has to do exactly with libertarianism. I mean, what, that he's just like minding his own business and taking care of his own things? I don't know. Um, but he must be a terrible neighbor and therefore that must be what sparks a dispute. And basically they insinuated that Rand deserved it. So yeah, they do that. They, you can be the victim and they will um, pretend that you deserved it. Celebrities hate whiteness. It's very true. They do. The celebrities in our country right now overwhelmingly do, and they hate it even when it's in their own blood. Half-black celebrities never show off their white half. It's very, again, very, very true. Now, I'll say things are changing out there. I, I have had some incredibly encouraging emails from some people who are mixed race, and I really appreciate them reaching out to me. Um, and there's, there's been people that have said, you know, like I'm, I'm half, you know, black or, or, um, whatever and half white. And, and, you know, I, I'm 13 years old or I'm 17 years old, I'm 20 years old. And I've been raised to just absolutely hate my white side and think that I didn't have a culture and that that side, you know, you know, didn't have anything. And, um, and even to the point where they've been bullied and harassed by, you know, um, the, the non-white people in their community, whether it's black or Latino, you know, because they, maybe they have blue eyes or something because they're mixed race. And I've had very heartwarming stories of people that say, you know, I stumbled across your Twitter account. I stumbled across your website. I stumbled across your Instagram. And now I'm really embracing my white self, my white heritage. You know, I've looked up my Russian ancestors or I've looked up my German ancestors. And I, you know, anytime somebody makes fun of my blue eyes at school anymore, like, you know, I just roll those blue eyes right at them because I'm proud of who I am and I'm proud that I have blue eyes and I can pass that gene along. And so, you know, it's not just white people that are benefiting from the activism that that I'm doing and people like me are doing right now. There are a lot of biracial people out there that have simply been raised to absolutely hate half of their identity and um and sadly usually raised by a white mother to hate their white selves and um and uh we're really touching their hearts as well and so you know keep on going forward because we're really making a difference here in in, in a lot of different people's lives um Women, you know, they aren't going to get as much a punishment as they should. That's true. Our justice system right now is very, it's just, it's anti-white and it's anti-male. And if you're a white man, you're not going to get a fair shake, just like Chris Cantwell right now sitting in jail. Um, and I encourage you guys to write to Chris. Let me pull that up because I actually have that right here. You can write to Christopher Cantwell. So, so write Christopher Cantwell, inmate, and that's Christopher with a PH, inmate number 631424. And I don't know how to pronounce this, this word, Albermarle? I don't know. So A L B E M A R L E, Charlottesville Regional Jail, 160. P-E-R-E-G-O-R-Y, Lane, Charlottesville, Virginia, 22902. So if you missed that during the live recording, um, go back to what we, we've been talking for about one hour and 12 minutes. Go back to about a minute 12 and grab that address. Drop him a letter. Let him know you're thinking about him. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's what we have going on right now. If you are a white man, you cannot get a fair shake in our justice system. 
in a country built by white men. Okay, so I think that I've caught up with all the comments. Oh, wait. Oh, here you go. How much do you, do you think Jewish elites or Jewish supremacists have to do with white demographic genocidal anti-white agenda? Oh, that is such a difficult question. I don't know. I mean, obviously, we can see that in these institutions that are negatively affecting white identity and white people, that they are disproportionately Jewish, right? I mean, we can see that in the media and we see that amongst the elites. But how much of it is like calculated and orchestrated? Like, I don't, I don't know. And I'm really... I'm really like hard pressed to think that there's very many conspiracy theories. I'm, I mean, that are true. I'm not a big conspiracy theory person. Um, you know, I kind of like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And so I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt that I don't think there's some like secret back room other than maybe like George Soros, who's like sitting down. I don't think that there's like Jews meeting together, like deciding, oh, we're going to do this or right, whatever. I think that they're articulate. They have incredibly high verbal IQs as, as a people and they get into positions like lawyer and, and, uh, and the media, you know, it, things like this. Um, and obviously Hollywood. And then I think that they have an in-group preference, which is a healthy thing. So if, if there is a guy and he's Jewish and he's making a movie, he's going to hire like his Jewish nephew. He's going to, you know, he's going to hire within his community. He's going to be looking first at his synagogue and his family for people to bring in on this project. And white people don't. We will first look outside of our community. We might look maybe within our own family, but we will mostly look. We'll be like, oh, well, I want to get a black guy and a Mexican and this and that. Um, cause we've been taught that it's not okay for us to help our own community, right? And so we just, we don't do that and Jewish people do do that. And I, so I think that that's why you get things like Hollywood. There's so many Jewish people in Hollywood. I don't think it's because they're sitting, you know, and like having these secret meetings and like plotting to like infiltrate Hollywood. I think it's simply that. You know, they're very articulate and, and, and the beginning of Hollywood, a lot of them got into that industry just by talent and then they just hire within their own community and it, it just snowballs from there. And I think that as whites, particularly as we become a minority demographic in this country, we're going to have to start doing that for our own survival. We're going to have to start acting like other minorities do in having a preference for our own people and trying to, you know, build up our own people. Somebody says the meeting place is called a synagogue. Well, you know, that's true in a lot of respects. And so if white people, if we looked at our church as our meeting place, not in a conspiratorial fashion, but just like, now Mormons do this overwhelmingly and, and they get a lot of flack from this. Now I grew up in a very heavily Mormon area and my, my family was not Mormon. My father was not Mormon and he, but he worked with a lot of Mormons. And one of his critiques always was like, Oh my gosh, well, they always know each other, right? You know, we go into a meeting and it's always like, Oh, hey, you're so and so from, Oh, you know, my sister in law, you know, you're the bishop of her, you know, her church or this, you know, whatever. And, and I think that it can it can leave people that live in Mormon communities who aren't Mormon feeling very left out because Mormons do actually have kind of an ingrid preference and um, that's dying away as things are radically changed in the Mormon community. Um, but 
for the most part, they always have had a very strong in-group preference, and so they're hiring within their own people. And um, when I lived in Northern California, there was uh, the Mormon community was incredibly small. We had a very small church, and it encompassed a very large geographical area. And there was one family in the church who owned a business in town, and it was it was a fairly large business, and it employed uh, quite a number of people. I mean, offhand, I would say maybe. 50 to 75 people. And so when they could, when they had a job offering open, whether to drive truck or, you know, stock things or whatever they had, they would go to the church first um, and, and, and hire. And even, even at that, they would go to like, for example, one woman that they hired to work for them. She was dating a guy whose mother went to church, right? So she wasn't Mormon. And even the guy she was dating had kind of left the church, but they still, they, they, they hired her and they kind of preferred to do that. And, um, I think that, that we could learn a lot from that. And we, you know, um, I think that that's how these cliques form, um, kind of organically. And we've just been in control of the country for so long and we've lost control so quickly that we haven't been able to realize that we have to form cliques as well. Of course, uh, you know, uh, we who are in the alt-right or identitarian movements, we realize that and uh, we're putting everything on the line here to try to form our cliques. But, you know, you don't even have to do it outwardly if you just, um, you know, go to your church community first. You know, if you have a business, um, if the business you're working for is hiring, you know, um, look around you, who in your family, who in your church community um, has a need, you know, um, don't just necessarily put the ad in the paper right away, but look for people within your own community that could use that job. And um, and again, support, support, support identitarian and all right businesses. Um, if you, you know, ask around, ask around um, on forums, online, ask around on Twitter, um, you know, who out there you know, can recommend, uh, you know, whatever, whether you're going to get a tattoo or whatever it is, a service, you know, try to find people within our community, make sure we're supporting them. Because of course, one of the biggest tactics that our adversaries use is economic terrorism. They try to get us fired from our jobs. They um, try to shut down our businesses, um, you know, things like that. Um, and they try this lawfare where they come after you for, you know, uh, in, you know, copyright infringement when there is no copyright infringement or, you know, whatever it is, you know, um, reporting you. I know a lot of people that are in the movement, they're constantly, you know, having to sift through paperwork because they're being reported to all of these, you know, agencies and, you know, this and that. And they have to go through and, you know, go through the steps of like, no, I didn't violate this law or, you know, whatever it is. So, uh, it becomes cumbersome. Our, our, our adversaries are using it. And so we need to be supporting our people. Um, somebody says the, the economic terrorism aspect is very important. It is, it is because, you know, you can't have a large white family <laughs> if you can't work. Um, and this is where I differ with the libertarian side. Um, so I, I was a libertarian briefly a few years ago. I think we've all kind of passed through our libertarian phase, but the welfare state. Now, ideally, I don't, I would not want there to be a welfare state. I think charity should be through churches. Um, I think there's, there needs to be accountability and, and, um, people need to conform to societal rules and regulations in order to get help. And that's where 
uh, church charity does the most good because church charities typically don't just hand out. They expect some kind of conformity um, from you in, in before you get uh, help or they, they expect something in return. But that having been said, if you are the victim of economic terrorism or, or something like this, you know, you've been doxxed or whatever, please don't feel ashamed about using the government aid that all of the other people are using right now currently to replace us. You know, right now we have illegals coming into this country. They are sucking our government aid dry and they're using it to pump out six, seven, eight kids. You go to the grocery store and you see it. Um, don't feel ashamed right now of using that same system if and when you need it. Ideally, you're going to be taking care of yourself. I get it. But with this economic terrorism and with the restraints that are put on our people right now, we need to use everything we have available. All right. So, um, all right. I'm going to um, take a little bit of a break. I'm going to play you guys another song. Um, I think that I uh, came up with uh, today. My uh, sister, uh, la, la, I said, almost said my sister, my daughter and I did this one. And uh, it's a real cute little song um, called It's Okay to Be White, the dance mix. <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and play that for you guys. Get in any comments right now that you want to ask. Um, tag me in them. And um, I'll be back to wrap it up here in just a few minutes. Alrighty, if you want to hear the rest of that song, it's on my channel. I uploaded that today along with the Richard Spencer mix. Um, I probably will be doing more of those because <laughs> those are super fun to do. Alrighty, so I'm going to go ahead and sign out here. Um, I just had some news come in that uh, for those of you that keep track of the Pizzagate investigation, um, Comet Ping Pong is under investigation by the D.C. Metro Police. Um, I saw that just come in here recently. So if you are uh, one of those people that has been working to get the information out about Pizzagate and Comet Ping Pong, that is some um, good news. So I'll leave you on that white pill. And we are turning things around, guys. As always, thank you for your support. You can go to wifewithapurpose.com forward slash support. Throw me a couple of shekels. Help me keep doing what I'm doing. And I will talk to you guys later. Bye.